Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis. And I'm Kyle Dotson. And we are here at the 2018 SF Sketch Fest. How about that? We're very excited to be here today because we have a very special guest. I don't know if you've ever heard about this gentleman. His name's uh, uh, Rick Springfield. Let me tell you a little bit about Rick Springfield before we bring him up. He's got uh, 20 albums. Is that the count? Girls, you know. <laughs> 20 albums. He's got two books. He played Live Aid, Star on the Walk of Fame, Grammy Award, Platinum Albums, 49 acting credits on IMDb, 49 and counting. And he's here for us today. We are very excited because Kyle, who have I always been talking about that was my dream guest? Oh, Rick Springfield. <laughs> and who do we have here today? Rick Springfield. And who are you tired of hearing about? <laughs> you're supposed to say you're supposed to say Trump. Oh. <laughs> Okay, let's hear a little music and then we're going to bring Rick right out. Let's hear it, Kyle. What do we got? Voice of Ron, iTunes, Window, iTunes, Sketch Fest, Rick Springfield, Table, One Row Select. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What the heck? We have never had a technical glitch like that. What happened? I have no idea. I hit the wrong button. Kyle. I'm We've trying. waited five years to get Rick Springfield, and then we have a computer talking to him. You gonna try it again? Sure. Are you nervous? No. Okay. <laughs> Crank it up. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a big Cobbs Comedy Club and SF Sketch Fest welcome to Mr. Rick Springfield! I can add uh, Rick Springfield roadie to my uh, resume now. <laughs> Rick, that yeah, song was well. The Man That Never Was. That was you and the Foo Fighters. Yeah, that was uh, done for the Sound City documentary uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was now. Those guys love you. The Foo, the Foo Fighters, they're, they're bona fide Rick Springfield fans. Uh, well, they are now. <laughs> no, you, they're great guys. We, we actually went out and played uh, a couple of shows and... Uh, they're they're an amazing band. They're just really loud. <laughs> it's awesome. And I love that. You and guys. Dave wrote that song. Yeah, uh, actually, we all got together. The whole all of the Foo Fighters and I got together in their studio, 
and uh, came up with the uh, the track, and then uh, I wrote the you know the vocal and the, the words. Sorry, I shouldn't move away from the mic, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do this. You can you can keep looking straight. You don't have to look at me. Okay. I'll just be like that guy over your the bartender. Yeah, I'll be like that. <laughs> can that, I get a beer? That guy over your shoulder. No, anything you want. You don't want a beer, though, do you? You're kidding, right? No, That's I'm true. good. No I'm flying. If you want another, you want another uh, green tea, we'll get it for you. No uh, problem. I'm good. I'll have to pee if I have another green tea. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, Butch Vig, he produced that, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Butch did... Uh, he um, also plays with... Uh, Garbage. Uh, Garbage. Uh, garbage? No, no. What's a garbage? Yes, garbage. <laughs> <laughs> you called it. I did call. It. You know what? I'm too far away from you. I'm getting closer. Come on, move in, baby. Let's too get close. Far away. I can't be too far, right? I How do you reserve these from. these seats? <laughs> oh, all right. I you know these. You know some of these women, don't you? I right? do. I, I I have seen them probably more than I've seen my own wife. As a matter of fact. Uh, before we get into uh, your new album, which is coming out next Friday, it's called The Snake King. It's a blues-tinged album, is what I say. Yeah, I've infused. heard the whole thing. Blues-infused. Yeah, it's kind of like the herbal tea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I want to tell a quick story, because you have so many fans here tonight. This, this, was, uh, this was a couple years ago. It was in Santa Monica. You were doing... Um, one of your solo acoustic shows mm -hmm. when you were uh, you, you you it's just you and stories and it's fantastic and Kyle was with me and um, after the show we go around to the back of the venue because uh, because I'm a fan and I want to get your autograph as a fan so we get back there and it's me and Kyle and there's a woman uh, that's waiting there too and it's awkward if you don't strike up conversation with someone so we start talking to her she could be here let's find out and uh, we introduce each other she said her name is Mary is there a Mary here tonight no okay so we start to talk and she says um, I she goes are you a big Rick Springfield fan and I said yes and she said how many times have you seen Rick and uh, the number that I named was way too low for Mary <laughs> she did not like it it was literally like you know five she said, or you're not a real fan yeah I, I was like I was like oh I've seen him like five or six times and she's just like she's like oh boy <laughs> and I was like well how many times have you seen him and literally it was like 400 times wow so I said well, God bless <laughs> you Mary I don't that's I don't like anybody that much <laughs> <laughs> so then the conversation continues I'm like well then have you met him before and she goes oh yes I'm waiting here for my hug now I'm a comedian and I'm a cynical so I immediately think oh Mary's bonkers she's slipped a chip but then like one of the tech guys comes out and um, he goes hi Mary and she says hi names him by his name and he comes over and he gives her a hug and I'm like oh she's getting a hug from Rick Springfield and as soon as he comes out here and sure enough you come out you make a beeline for this woman call her by her name and give her a hug and I was like, holy cow, Mary's connected. <laughs> and then you signed my album, and that was my story. So, very nice. Don't tell my wife about Mary, okay? <laughs> All right, so uh, what I love about Rick Springfield is a lot of people think Rick Springfield is this handful of songs. And we know, look at the lady shaking her head. She's like, no fucking way, is it just that? <laughs> you have recorded so many albums. In the past five or six years, you've released three albums easily. And you have a brand new album coming out. I love that you're still making music. You seem like you have a passion for it. It's not just, you could easily go out, Rick, and play 
you know, what Journey does. They play the Dirty Dozen, they play the hits, and they call it a night. But that's not what you're about, because I believe you are a true musician. Uh, well, I mean, I, you know, every, every musician believes in their craft, I mean, obviously, but I, I, I know a lot of friends of mine have just stopped recording because mm -hmm. they don't really see the point. Yeah. But for me, I, I have to record because I write and I don't want it just to sit on a shelf. Yeah, I, need, I need people to hear it and say yay or nay and I love you, Rick. I need to hear that more. <laughs> <laughs> it's my depression that makes me so damn needy. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I, like... Billy Joel stopped recording albums like in the 90s. Now, do you believe that no songs are in his head and there's oh, no pop no. songs that... I really stopped recording because Elton yeah. still records. Yeah, Elton um, still records. Billy Joel just stopped. Elton, yeah. And he's, he, um, he's still recording and I think, I don't know, maybe... I think different people have different views on it. Uh, once you've had like big record success mm -hmm. and then you put a record out, like the Stones put out a great blues record and it was like... Well, no one really, you know, heard it. <laughs> yeah. So it's a Rolling Stones. Paul McCartney puts out records, you know. But the point is not the point that it sells and that you make, you know, a gazillion dollars. The point is you're making music and you put it out because you want you want to share that with people. That's right. the whole point of it. You need to share, it. and that's what everybody. Woo. Okay, sorry, sorry. Pete Townsend moment. <laughs> What's great is this is not a video uh, podcast. Oh, sorry so no for one those see visually impaired. I whacked a microphone in my hand and knocked it away. <laughs> okay, so um, and also have ADD. So what was I saying? You you were talking about how you you, you write the songs and you need to get them out there because you oh, want to yeah, share you, them with you, people. You want to share it with people. I mean, that's why we. That's every musician got into. The music, the business, because of that, they wanted, they wrote music and they wanted people to hear it. You know, a little bit of it was, I want the girls to dig me. You know, that's it, that's it. <laughs> or the guys to dig me. That that's in in every musician. <laughs> We're a needy bunch of motherfuckers. But, <laughs> but um, the, the the main dr drive is to share what you say with people. Love it. Well, let's share a little bit of music from the Snake King. This is the this is the opening track. Uh, Kyle, what do we got? What's the first one you're going to queue up with no computer music? Uh, this is the Land of the Blind. Land of the Blind. Let's hear a little bit of this from Rick Springfield. I'll dance. Come on. Now you probably want me to explain that, right? How many, how many people here? Is that the first time you've heard this song? I love it. No, you diehard crazy people. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, I did it live on You pre-ordered it, and you've done it live already. Hmm. Now, that for me, that's the least um, blues-tinged song, yeah, I think. Yeah, it that's, is. And that's I a very pop-accessible song. Right, I didn't limit myself to just the strict blues thing, because I wanted it to go whichever way it went. Right. And some are more blues than others. That one's, that one's kind of more kind of Dylan-y than, than, than blues. Certainly, mm -hmm. but, but Dylan was very blues oriented. Right. I mean, he wrote a lot of blues songs. He just sang them in his wild voice and wrote about, you know, amazing shit. But um, <laughs> that's, you know, it's just a, kind of a, that song is just saying, you know, 
we need to wake up. <laughs> right. And um, yeah, so, so when, I, when I got this album and I heard, uh, you know, oh, it's a blues infused or blues tinged, I was like, boy, I hope it's not how, 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 that kind of blues. And it's not. It's not, an, it's not at all. That's what he meant. But there's an easy top, which I love. Now, the, 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 it seems a lot, of, a lot of religious references on here, God and the devil and a lot of stuff like that. There's growling between the tracks. That's the devil. That's the devil? <laughs> Who's doing the devil? Is that, is that you doing no, the growling? No, that's, that's a real devil. We actually invited that's him the, into oh, the studio. Okay. He actually growled for us. He's very right. hard to get. Very and God provided the, the uh, lake music. So it was, <laughs> and, and there's a lot about sex, too. It's my three favorite things, God, the devil, and sex. Okay. And they're very, very interchangeable. All right, what's the next track we have queued up from uh, the Snake King? This is uh, The Devil That You Know. There you go. This is a great one. I'm the devil that you know, baby. I know what you want. I see, I see some people sitting out there going, wow, that's really cool. And others going, what the fuck is that? <laughs> uh, were you raised Catholic? Uh, Church of England, which is like Catholic, only with a little less guilt. A little bit. Okay. Little bit Because <laughs> I was raised Catholic. I'm a, re, I'm a uh, reformed Catholic. Yeah. So I'm not, uh, not practicing yeah, it, anymore. It, it's brutal being raised Christian. Um, for me, it was very tough because, uh, I mean, I have crosses. I don't want to get the wrong impression. I'm not, I'm certainly not anti-Christian, but I, cause I have crosses all over mm -hmm. my house, and I have a cross tattooed on my arm, and it's very deep in my system. But I was raised believing that God kicked your ass when you did stuff wrong. Right. And when you did stuff, things happened that were good, you got down on your knees and you thanked him. And I didn't understand this punishing father that, at his whim, Kicked my ass as a little kid, and that that stayed with me. And and but this are you talking about you, your father or a priest? No, 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 no. Uh, I'm talking about uh, God as your father. Gotcha. Okay, okay. God I just wanted father. to clarify. Was, you know, I believed right. in the whole white beard. He's up there looking yeah, yeah. down on us, dealing out shit and giving. Sure, faith. The, That's faith. But then I'd see the bully, you know, at school who was picking on me, get through school scot free, and I'd get busted for my long hair or staying away, you know. And I'm going, where's the fairness in this? But the, but the modern version of that now is I'm looking around going. I see evil everywhere in this planet. Mm -hmm. And the thing that, the big turning point for me was uh, when I, and I, this may sound trite, but, but it's true for me. It was, ISIS buried those women and children alive, the mm -hmm. Christian uh, Arab kids and women alive. I just, that, that was like the worst thing I've ever heard in my it's life. Terrible. And I said, where is God when evil is so fucking prevalent in this world? And yeah. so that's, uh, that's the question that the album forms, basically. And I, you know, and I was prepared, I'm prepared to lose fans over this because I, I go down south and I go to a gig and people hand me like a, a bag full of Bibles and Bible pamphlets, you know. So I, you know, I, but I'm not ragging on anyone's belief system because my mom very much believed in her God and she passed away last year and, and I envied her uh, commitment and her and a surety of, of yeah. what she, where she was going. Well, I can remember uh, I was raised Catholic and I can remember when they introduced 
going to confession face to face in front of the priest and we had to do it I was in Catholic school and I wanked off I wanked off I wanked off I wanked off okay already you did it last enough Ten I, oh you just got it right what's he saying wank what is that word but I confessed beating the bean pole I confessed face to face to this priest that I had looked at a Playboy magazine uh-huh. and he made me feel so yeah. terrible meanwhile he's and, looking at your ass going that's yeah nice exactly <laughs> right because oh, I had a sweet ass when I was in eighth grade I bet and, you did how old were you uh, I was in like eighth seventh or eighth grade and I went home to my mom and I said I I'm, bet you I'm, were hot baby <laughs> <laughs> I went home and I told my mom I go I'm never doing that again I'm yeah. never doing that again and I never did and anytime I had to go to confession I just made stuff up I'm like I was mean to my sister I was mean to my parents and I got out of there I, did. I killed and ate my sister okay seven, <laughs> ten eight and tail married yeah I mean uh, the whole the whole fact that a human being has rule over you like that is it's right. just so bizarre to me it's awful so bizarre it's awful Kyle what we got one more we got one more song for now from the Snake King then we're gonna go way 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 back Uh-oh. to the beginnings <laughs> what do we got Kyle uh, this was uh, Jesus was an atheist alright here we go perfect perfect timing That's cool, buddy. Awesome. Tongue in cheek. Yes, tongue in cheek. And, and you know, Let's I mean... Let's hope it, people get the joke. Well, it, it, it's kind of a joke. I mean, part of it is, is the whole uh, humanization of Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. um, the whole, like, you know, I mean... Jesus was, you know, and it's just my perspective, and I'm going to piss people off, but fuck it. <laughs> Jesus was either truly God, or he was out of his friggin' mind saying he was God. There is no halfway point. There is a, well, he was human, but he was God's messenger. No, Jesus specifically said, I am God. I am, right? Huh? Oh, oh, yeah. All right. No, it's true. It's absolutely true. Maybe we'll walk the crowd right now. <laughs> and I'm going to get, I know I'm going to get emails saying, Jesus did not say that. <laughs> but he did. He said, I am God. And, uh, and, and, uh, and it's hard for me, to, you, you know, you're supposed to be able to relate to this human being right. that, that suffered. But if he's God, well, he knows everything and it's going to be okay. And. You know, but the whole point of the the sacrifice of Jesus was that that's what we all look at. We all look, we we know we're going to die and we don't know really what's going to happen. You know, And, and, and the fact that Jesus wasn't sure and tried to get out of it and you know and and doubted it at his last in his last moments so, so obviously i believe in i you know i believe in in, in a jesus i i i christian uh teachings pass very strongly uh, exist very strongly in me but i have questions and that's and that's why i went to the east i i, I looked to uh, buddhism i looked to taoism i looked and read everything i could actually the first first uh the the buddhist uh book is not, not really a bible it's just a collection of buddhist sayings <laughs> hang on where's the cop button that's your, your your water is right there if oh, you want some water work. it's broken <laughs> 
So the first book, I stole that book from, from a Japanese hotel. <laughs> well, there you go. That's Which very kind of religious weird, you know, stealing. But it put me on a path of, right. of seeking uh, uh, God within rather than Christian religion. My, my upbringing put God as an outside source, and you prayed to him. And whereas the Eastern religions put God within you. And, and that spoke very strongly to yeah. me. Wow, we got heavy here with Rick today. I'm well, telling let's tell you. a joke. No. Let's tell a joke. Well, I'll tell you what. If, let's, let's, not get, let's break the heaviness by Kyle. If you could play the theme from Mission Magic. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm leaving. No. No, you're not. Stop that. <laughs> All right, that was a song written to order for a cartoon show, which called Mission Magic, which I actually met Quentin Tarantino at a party, and he said, dude, I used to love Mission Magic. <laughs> I said, that's what fucked you up. Maybe he'll, bring, <laughs> maybe he'll bring it to the big screen, and you and you and Miss Tickle can kill children. Jeez, oh, Miss Tickle. Um, yeah, yeah I, by, I bypassed Speak to the Sky because I, I thought we were going we to keep talking about religion if I played Speak to the Sky. We would. So now I, I want to read the description here of Mission Magic, and I have it here because I have to read it. Miss Tickle is a high school teacher who has some magical powers... <laughs> Uh, where is it? Augmented by accessories in her bag. That sounds like drugs to me. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like she's passing out she edibles. Yeah, she's passing out edibles going. to the kids. And then, and then I love it. Like then, it's just like at some point during the episode, Rick Springfield will come out and sing a song. Out of a mirror or something. <laughs> mirror or they went into a mirror. And we, when we actually had conversations about this show, right? I sat down with some of the animators from Fantasia, the mm -hmm. Disney Fantasia, right? And we're talking about Yellow Submarine and really innovative stuff right. I'm going I'm getting real excited yeah you know? sure yeah this is really like would be a really different thing by the time it got through the corporate machinery it was just another stupid dumb fuck Saturday morning <laughs> yep. Xerox cartoon show yep. with the same voices Rick Springfield and a talking cat and <laughs> yeah it was it was pretty lame pretty lame well you look uh, you look fantastic on the cover I, I do <laughs> <laughs> now look this is the thing too um, you you I've heard you say before that like, you were a kid you, you it was hard to talk to meet girls and all that kind of stuff and I look at the picture of you on your first album cover and I'm like that dude didn't have any problem meeting <laughs> the girls you're not one of these models that goes I was fat and no one took me to the prom it's like you're lying Heidi Klum <laughs> no I, I was very shy kid and I didn't and I was very unsure of myself and mm -hmm. I think it was the start of my my lifelong battle with depression was that I didn't think I was worthwhile and nobody would ever like me so I didn't Oh, I appreciate the I appreciate the awe. No, I, I worked out. I got laid a lot. <laughs> that's, I why, that's why I picked up the guitar. It was so the girls would come to me. Yes. Right. Oh, I love guitar playing. No, I could never go up to a, a girl and make her feel comfortable by talking to her. Mm -hmm. You know, it would always be, just, "Hello, how are you?" I'm, <laughs> my name's Rick. You know, like, oh my God, this guy's a fucking psycho. <laughs> so I never, I, truly, I could never make a girl feel comfortable. And I, so I could never feel comfortable with a girl. So, but I did, you know, I mean, the music thing, 
in a, playing in a band, right. it works. But you also have to be good at playing music. You just can't be plonk, 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 hey, yeah. and then get girls. Yep. Right? I don't care if you talk stupid. <laughs> I want to sleep with you. <laughs> uh, let's jump to, uh, we're going to jump to play uh, Take a Hand for Me. Because I think before you play it, I think this is the I think this is the first song that starts to let us know what Rick Springfield music is going to sound like yes. as we get to I the eighties. Also, you have uh, Nigel Olson from the Elton John band. Right, Nigel and D actually. And they D. Just Murray left, that just left Elton's band. It was Nigel yeah. D and Elton. That was a three-piece band that he toured. Now with. it's and then it was Nigel D and Rick. Well, and then they came. They I, I befriended Nigel. I got a whole there's a whole story about I used to go to we. We used to go to acting class, the okay. first acting class I attended. Richard Chamberlain would also come in every, every now and then. Where's the cough button? Come in every now and then. That's your water right there if you want water. That's yours. Oh, hang on. It'll make me pee, though. <laughs> We'd come in every now and then to work out, you know, just, just to work out, to get the gears moving. And Richard would always have parties at his house. And, uh, and Elton would come because they were, you know, friends. Yeah. And... And Elton would come, and so Nigel and Dee would come, and the whole band, and his band would come, and I'd play piano, and I'd play a couple of songs, and Elton would get up and play a couple of songs. So I basically opened for Elton in the 70s, right? Early 70s. <laughs> but I became good friends with Nigel, and when they left Elton that first time, I called them up and said, would you guys want to play on my new record? And they were, they were amazing. They were so great and, and c totally killed it. You must have been out of your mind when, when you were in the studio with these guys. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I mean, they were amazing. And, and to have those, that, that quality and that, talent, that amount of talent playing on my little rock songs was just, it blew me away, for sure. Well, let's hear uh, Take a Hand. in the set list. Yeah, the, the band was me, uh, me, Nigel, and Dee, because uh, I played the guitar and all the keyboards on that, so it was just the three of us, actually. Now, I, I haven't heard that album in a long time, um, but yeah, so it was a very, it was a very kind of family thing. They were really mm -hmm. into it, and actually, Nigel recorded one of the songs off there later on in his solo career, and we still, Matt, my friend Matt, who wrote the last three albums, not this one, not Snake King, but the last three albums mm -hmm. with me. Matt Bissonette. Matt Bissonette is now... Uh, the bass player in Elton's band. Yeah. So, you know, we say hi to each other all the time through, you know, Nigel. Now he's a, we're all getting older and, you know, <laughs> I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so now after, after, um, uh, after Wait for Night, uh, which was 1976, get like five years between albums. And in that time you become soap opera star. Uh, yeah, it happened yeah. around the same time, actually. I would, what, what happened through those years was I was a contract player for Universal. Oh, okay. And I was, uh, I started, I worked on uh, Rockford Files, Battlestar Galactica, uh, Incredible Hulk, uh, like Eddie Capra Mysteries, if anyone remembers that one. <laughs> Six Million Dollar Man. Look I worked on, on all the Universal shows, yeah. so it was really great for me. And then General Hospital came after I'd actually recorded this album. 
But then, but oh, what shut I, up. <laughs> but but it's five years between albums because you're doing all the acting. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I did record an album after that that had the Bruce song on it. She yes. called me Bruce that they yes. later released after I had a hit mm-hmm. and it became a hit, which is great. But It's like but, a novelty song, but kind it, of. Yeah, but it, the album was never released. We tried to get a deal with this mm-hmm. album that that yeah. song was on and nobody wanted it. So uh, I was kind of going, wow. Maybe it's not going to work out. <laughs> By the way, you bring up the song Bruce, and I have to tell you, my mom is 82 years old, and guess who she thinks I was going to be interviewing today? Yep. It's not even a joke. No, I know. I, I, it's I not get even it. a joke. Yeah. I get it. I, I was in uh, my, my uh, one of my doctors. I say I have a, like a league of freaking doctors to help prop me up. But um, I was in there, and she gave me a card for the next appointment. I looked at it and said, Mr. Springsteen. Yeah. And I've been going to her for like, you know, 20 years. I, I, I showed it to her. And she, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. She tried to take it back. I said, no, no, I want to keep this. Well, I, so I tried to explain to my mom. I'm like, no, no, it's not Bruce Springsteen. It's Rick Springfield. And she goes, wait, there's another Springsteen? I go, no, I just, what's wrong with you? I know people still say to me, I loved you on General Hospital, Bruce. But they, they, uh-huh. got, they get it right. They just get the name mixed up. And yeah. when I was working with Meryl, I did a movie called Ricky and the Flash. Ricky and the Flash. Flash. And, and she said, even she gets it. She said, people will come up to her and say, I loved you in Fatal Attraction. And she goes, that was Glenn Close. <laughs> By the way, Ricky and the Flash, Rock and Peace, Jonathan Demi, that was his last film. Oh, what got a, to work what a with, beautiful man he was. And uh, there's a scene in Ricky and the Flash. It's the best scene for me in the movie. It's the scene with you and Meryl Streep in, in the kitchen uh, of the bar. And you are terrific in that scene. Oh, so okay. I'm not joking. Well, Jonathan Demi, the director who also did... Uh, Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. which if that's the only movie you ever made, <laughs> right. that would be pretty friggin' awesome. But he also did, you know, so many, so many other great films, Married to the Mob and, and Stop Making Sense. And he was a major, he was a, champ, a champion for me and really guided me through that scene and was amazing. And we did it about five times. And he kept saying, you know, keep the anger. Don't, because I'd kind of go in and out of, with, through the thing. He said, yeah. keep the anger, keep the anger, because you really, you know, and I did for one scene, one time, and he goes, cut! And you knew instantly that... that <laughs> and that was the one. That, that was the one. And who's the, who, the band in the, in the movie? It's you, it's Meryl Streep, it's... Um, who, who's Bernie Worrell's a keyboard player who sadly has passed away. Yes, Rock and Peace, well, Bernie played and, with the Pretenders. And, um, yeah, and... Um, uh, and Rick. Rick uh, Rosas, who was uh, Neil Young's bass player, who sadly passed also. away four days after we finished yeah, shooting. Yeah, so sad. And, uh, and, um, is it Vitali on drums? Yeah, Joe Vitali on drums, on who's, drums. thank God, so alive and is an amazing human being, and I see him all the time. He, he plays with Joe Walsh, and he actually wrote, co-wrote, uh, Rocky Mountain Way, and, uh, uh Rock, Rocky Mountain, sorry, Rocky Mountain Way, Rocky Mountain High. See, you see, that's a Bruce Springsteen Springfield moment. <laughs> yeah, true. All right? <laughs> Happens to everybody. Okay, get over it. So he went to Springsteen. Apparently, someone told me this. He said, "I got to tell you this story." As a producer, I went in to see, and he said, uh, "I'm at this. I'm at this department store, and Springsteen comes in and buys a bunch of clothes, and goes up to the the cashier and hands him his credit card, and the cashier picks up the phone and goes, yes, I have a Mr. Springfield here, and he's looking to.'" Buy- <laughs> I went, "Yes, one for the team." <laughs> Uh, we're going to move on to Working Class Dog. This, now, this is the big breakthrough album. This is, this is, this is the big, this is the first big one. Mm-hmm. Let's listen to the first track in the album. Let's listen to Love Is Alright. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
That's the 80s snare. Yeah. And uh, that was recorded at Sound City. Yeah. That yeah. is like the perfect opening track. Such a great way to start that album. And that's, uh, that's me and Mike Barrett, basically, on that. Mike Barrett. Uh, no, it's ja Jack White on that one, my drummer who uh, I've known since 1976. Uh, Jack and me, I, we stood in there and I played guitar and then overdubbed the guitars and overdubbed the bass and then I sang the backgrounds with Tom Kelly, who later... later, later who later wrote Like a Virgin. Mm -hmm. He's been on the show. Tom's been on the show. Oh, he has? Yeah, yeah he's a lovely Great guy. guy. An amazing talent. And he, he uh, him and Richard Page from Mr. Mister before, uh, before uh, Kyria Laison yeah. and... and doom, 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 they were doom. doing background vocals yeah, They you. were my background singers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty great. And, uh, and I remember taking that home. I recorded the guitars once. I took them home and they were too splashy sounding mm -hmm. and I wanted them much, much tighter sounding. So I put the... We went back and we put the guitar amp in this two doors go into Studio A, one you close, you, you open one and walk through and then close it and then open the other one so the sound doesn't go leak into the thing. So I put it in there, the amp in there to make it like a really tight sound. And that's, and I hear that every time I hear that record. And now there's a reason you recorded at Sound City. Your manager at the time. My manager, Joe Gottfried, who was a, a god and a, my champion and who the last year before Jesse's Go broke. Um, he gave me, put me on the payroll at like a hundred bucks, hundred fifty bucks a month, so that I could just write and not have to worry about where you know paying for the light bill. And that so it's it was pretty amazing because he didn't have a lot of money back then. I mean, the studios were making money, but mm -hmm. he was not the greatest businessman, you know. <laughs> and uh, but he he is responsible is responsible for me writing Working Class Dog as as I am because he gave me the freedom to to say okay, I'm just going to sit here and write these songs. And he was an amazing human being. Well, again, this is that was your fifth album and that's the first time where everything you were firing on all cylinders on that album everything yeah. was working the songwriting yeah, I, I was amazing I knew, it was, uh, I knew it was something special I didn't think it would be successful because I'd had three failed albums before, right, right, right. I knew I'd, I'd hit I'd hit something and Tom Kelly actually when we were doing the background he goes this is a, a happening album <laughs> Which, you know session singers didn't say that shit right. you know, they sing on everything and the, but he goes this is a really happening album so it was, it was great and this was produced who, now the first time I ever saw this name was on Working Class Dog and I don't know if I'm saying it correctly Bill Drescher mm -hmm. who, who is Bill Drescher tell Bill me about him Bill was one of the engineers at Sound City and okay. uh, Bill and I produced all my records except right. for the, the second album which Keith Olsen produced and Jesse's Girl and I've done everything because Keith was a, like the top 80s producer at the time and Joe he worked out of Sound City and Joe said would you record would you re record two songs with Rick Springfield he's got a new album and he goes ah oh, really uh, he actually cut the clicks out of my first album in 1971 where they'd done drop-ins for my vocal uh -huh. he got he'd sat Keith Olsen as a young kid had sat and cut the tape yeah it wasn't digital clip. then it was tape no, it was they tape. had to do and, yeah and when they'd punch in to do a line because I didn't sing it right the first time you'd punch in and the big like there's noise on the tape so he went through the tape the 24 track and cut out all the clicks oh from God. the punch in and then he became the big producer and and he 
I played in my demos and he liked Jesse's Girl. He said it was a, he liked that song best. So uh, we recorded that one and then uh, and he taught me a lot about editing and about just production. So that, and then I produced the rest of the stuff with Bill. Um, and from and we did uh, Living in Oz, which to me was uh, kind of my my writing sound breakthrough record to me personally. Yeah, and heavier than, than yeah. um, success. Or where I or wanted to be. Working you know? last dog. Okay, Kyle, play the next song. One of the most iconic opening guitar parts. We all know it. Everyone knows it. Everyone loves it. Let's hear it. Let's 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 hear it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really like it. Now, Rick, you are going to be so happy because I'm not fucking asking you about Jesse's girl. <laughs> if, if you if you don't know about Jesse's girl, Google it. Whenever I see you on any interview and people start asking you the story of Jesse's girl, Is I want to punch story? someone. Oh, I, I give you permission to punch them in the face the next time they ask you about because I just uh, we get it. We know. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. He's done, but there's so much more to talk about, and that's what we're about today. But I do want to ask this about the recording of the song. I, I always read that Neil Giraldo played the solo. Yeah. But I read, just read recently read an article with him where he said he plays all the guitars plays and, all the, guitars and, and, the, and bass. the bass. And so the that's bass. true. Yeah. He's an amazing, amazing guy. And he was a perfect guy for it. I mean, Keith didn't know that I could play guitar. So he, and Keith always felt very happy with his little group of players that he yeah. knew would, would do the job, right? And he just finished Crimes of Passion with Pat Benatar. And he said, I'll get the, Neil's going to play guitar in this. And I went, well, I, I play I, guitar. Listen to the demo. That's that's me playing everything on the demo, right? When the demo is basically the the song that you hear. Right. It's the riff. It's the drums. I played drums on cushions because I couldn't play drums. <laughs> and at a crappy, you know, dime store bass that I had. But I did demo the song out, and that's the song that you hear. The only thing Keith changed was he cut out the the solo. I had originally had like a big long solo on on the A, like a, a free kind of thing. So he cut that out and it made it a better song and and what Neil added was his sound he had uh, uh, he had two amps and he had what was called uh, uh, um, uh, what was it it's uh, hang on hang on talk amongst yourselves anyway it, it lowered the pitch it lowered <laughs> okay. the pitch right of something and a and knob I think they called it a, a knob. knob a knob that's a the word I'm looking for that's what it is a knob a knob and, he, and it lowered the pitch so he had his amp split and this uh, thing starts out with, oh, I forget what it's called. I got one at home. Anyway, and it lowered the pitch so it sounded like two guitars. It was a really incredible sound. I actually copped it for the rest of the album. I went out and bought the same shit. <laughs> <laughs> but Neil, uh, Neil played the perfect solo.
solo. Well, it, Neil, he's an amazing guitarist. He's an amazing he's guitar amazing. player. And, and he was very pissed when the video came out, too. I heard this later on. Because uh, I yeah. lip-sync sure. solo in the video, right? Because yeah. I, I didn't think Neil Giraldo would want to get in my crappy little video. He's <laughs> playing with fucking Pat Benatar, for Christ's sake. Why would he want to play with me? So I didn't even think to ask. Yeah. And he was so mad that I didn't have him lip-sync solo, his solo in the record. But we've since made friends, and he's... Uh, he's um, He's very proud. He said, that, that's the only number one song I ever played on. I'm really proud of it. And well, that was also in the article I just read. He says that it's my only number one. Yeah, yeah. And they, they talk about it in their show. He talks about it and plays a bit mm -hmm. of it, you know. And he's very proud of, of, his, uh, of his contribution to that song because it has become kind of an iconic 80s kind of track, right. you know. He also, if you, if you know the Kenny Loggins song with Steve Perry, Don't Fight It, Neil also plays the solo in that song. So yeah, he's, he's a brilliant player. And he, the solo he played in Jesse's Girl is so, uh, it could have very easily gone country because that's the kind of chord progression it is. You instantly want to go country with the solo. And he played a great pop solo that really lifted the song. And and I focused on making every solo from that point on really part of the song, not just a break between singing. And it's uh, whenever I've seen you in concert, not as many times as Mary has, but <laughs> as, as soon as you play, as soon as you play the opening, it's just the crowd. Yeah, the, it's a the, great, you just feel a great it. Paul McCartney line yeah. where he says, I know, I know when I play Beatles songs, suddenly it's like, you know, neutron stars opening mm -hmm. up in front of you. But when I play a new song, it's like a black hole. <laughs> oh, well, that's not true. No, but it's true. I mean, no. I play a new song. I don't see any freaking cell phones light up. But once I start, <laughs> once I play Jesse's Girl, you know, suddenly, oh my God, there's people back there. I had no idea there was an audience back there. <laughs> All right. So with Working Class Dog, also, for your dogs on the album mm -hmm. cover, which is cool, Ron. Ronnie, my boy, yeah, and, and Gomer I put on there. I've always had a dog on the album. This is the first one that I think there hasn't been a dog on for a while. Um, there is a snake on it, but uh, we didn't want to put too many like real snakes on it because it creeps people out. And it's not really about a snake. It's about, a, a, you know, a spirit, a spirit an energy. Um, Did you ever think maybe to call it the Dog King? Yeah, that's my next album. Right, if this cool. one goes, we're going to have a series. A dog <laughs> album, a cat album. We'll sell to everybody. It'll be great. A uh, parrot album. Along, the Art album. Along with making such an amazing album, you get, there's accolades. You get, uh, you get platinum. Get a platinum album from this? It's gone multi-platinum since then, I'm sure. Uh, working Class Dog, yeah. Yeah. Would you, have those, would you have those hanging at your house, I No, hope? I've never been that guy, honestly. What do you I do mean, with I'm, them, then? They're just in the garage? I, I stuck them in a shed, and it got rained on, and I threw them out. <gasps> I was like, oh. I, I, they all got... I, I was never... The, I put one up, and it was the gold record for... The, when, a, when Working Class Dog finally went gold, and I put it up because it was a photo of my dog okay. on the cover, and I <laughs> loved that. And it was kind of, you know, that's kind of cool. It's first time has ever happened but um i i never put any of the records up after that and i've been to friends houses where they you know have the hallway lined right. with their their bling and, and it's cool i mean i it's an achievement and i get it but i i wasn't that guy that does richard that. marx does he have him hanging up does marx have him? he does doesn't he he does i know he does <laughs> Richard, Richard's a very, 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 very good friend of mine. But I he, know he is. That's why I said that. Yeah. For, for, to yeah. be funny. Um, but that's, that's cool. I mean, he, he wrote a lot of hits he for did. other people, Yeah, it's too. crazy. I, mean, I know, I know. He's a freaking hit machine there. Uh, uh, but I, that wasn't me. That just right. wasn't me. Well, that's so, cool. That's, I, I, that's an honest answer. I'm glad I to hear that. I put him in a box and, you know, just... 
I knew they were out there. I'm I sorry that they got ruined, though. That yeah. disappoints me. Yeah, they, uh, apparently the shed leaked, and I didn't know it. And, uh, <laughs> I think Rockstar I, I should have a nicer shed than that, Rick. I cleaned the shed out one day, lift up this, these boxes, and they like all fall apart, and the, the, the cardboard's all warped, and, and there's like fogging on the window and on the glass, so I just threw them out. Mm. Uh, the couple I saved and gave to... I think like a fan club to, to give to people or to sell for for for, for uh, charity yeah. charity stuff yeah all right cool but there were you know I, I see in on rock roll rock and roll catalogs that that stuff sells for a lot of money so yeah. you know I I could have done something good with it <laughs> yeah. instead of letting them maybe rot your sons it. are like dad what the hell <laughs> no my Get kids aren't into that either they you know they 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 could care less about that kind of stuff <laughs> honestly uh, nominated for a Grammy and you win the Grammy. Now, here's what, when I looked up... It's out in the shed, too. It's rusted. <laughs> <laughs> You're nominated. Here, here's, when you went, look, I'm, I'm not... When you went to the Grammys that night, you didn't think you were going to win, right? No, I wasn't even in my head. Because I was going to play, and I was focusing on playing, because it was you're not, live. And, and the reason I say that it is... It was really live. Yeah. Not like yes, live right. now. It was really mm -hmm. live. But the reason I say that is, uh, from your perspective, you're sitting there, and your competition is Rick James, Super Freak. Mm -hmm. Right. See? These people are like, how did you win? No. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen, The River. Fuck you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Rod Stewart for Young Turks and Gary U.S. Bonds for Dedication. And then this new guy, Rick Springfield for Jesse's Girl, and you win. Did you have a speech prepared? I did not. I did not. I was shocked as anybody. I thought, did they just say Springsteen or Springfield? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I just I went up and just... Uh, you winged it. Yeah, I offered it to my mom. My mom was in the oh, audience. So I said, this is for my mom. And she had it until she passed away. And she had it in a little china cabinet with all her lovely china and shit. It was pretty cool. And uh, I brought, it's the only thing I brought home like that from when my mom passed and we cleaned our house out. I brought home the Grammy and I have a jukebox, one of the old Wurlitzer jukeboxes, you know, from Happy Days. That, and I stuck it in there inside the jukebox. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Excellent. Um, I mean, we used to make jokes. Doug Davidson, who's uh, my best friend, who's on Young and the Restless and who won an Emmy for, for his work, we used to make jokes about Grammy and Emmys where we people would come to the house and go, where, where'd you put your Grammy? And say, I know, it's around here somewhere. And suddenly these giant doors open, gong, <laughs> gong, and a, on a pedestal is a Grammy and spotlights hit it and choir sound. Oh, there it is. Are you talking about Richard Marks? <laughs> <laughs> you you okay, can't. I love Richard. Oh, is that for me? Thank you. I'm a lefty when I drink. All right, so. Actually getting warm. Yeah. Easy, ladies. I still have my shirt on. That's right, baby. Oh, thank you so much. Wow, it's a These folder that says for you. <laughs> Here's the deal. I did not print out my notes before I left that, uh, Los Angeles the other day. So that's why I've been looking at my oh, phone. Wow. So Aaron, I well. sent a file to my friend Aaron. He printed them out, but then he, he's been in traffic. And I'm like, I think I can get through a little bit of it, but I'm going to need them. We were in that traffic, too. Yeah, it's so insane. I'm going to need them. I was and thinking of moving here till I got stuck in that traffic. Mm -hmm. March. What? The Women's March. Right. Here? You, yeah, you marched here. <laughs> <laughs> you marched to San Francisco. Yes. <laughs> from where? It's, it's from Civic Center. But you marched in San Francisco, yeah. which is probably the most woman-friendly place in the universe, right? Okay. 
Huh? You would think, uh-oh, she's had some no, trouble. Not. No, it's all good. Oh, no, don't brush it under the carpet. Stand up. What is your name, ma'am? Pam, do you, do you want to keep talking or do you want to hear Rick talk? All right. That's what I thought. <laughs> I'm, I, you know I'm teasing. You know I'm teasing. You, I know. Okay, Rick, so, so 1981, all this stuff happens, but then, but then a not good thing happens too in 1981 because you lose your father. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you have, um, in concert now, you play... T- Two songs back to back that you wrote for him. I don't. Um, I don't. April twenty fourth, nineteen eighty one, and my father's and my chair. Father's yeah. chair. And um, those are amazing tributes. When you play those, uh, it's very emotional all the time. But I want to jump to a song from nineteen ninety nine from your, uh, your what was your comeback album, Karma? Mm-hmm. Uh, a song called "It's Always Something" because I really love the line in this song about your dad. Yeah. So let's uh, let's hear that, Kyle. Then we'll talk. I just love that line. I think it's fantastic. I really, I really, I really do love that line. Thank you. So, that's a great song. My dad, my dad flows in and out of my songs ever since he passed away. Actually, there's a song off, uh, um, off, off Rock of Life where I say, uh, "I wish I could talk to my, to my father, father again." again yeah. yeah. So he does. He comes in and out, you know. And now my mom will. Now my mom's gone. <laughs> you know, that's important stuff. And uh, and my dad was. Uh, pretty amazing human being. I mean, both my parents are amazing. I was incredibly lucky to have someone, have two parents that loved a dick that I was. I was a dick. I was a dick as a kid, and I was a big dick as a teenager. I was a terrible teenager to my parents. I stayed away from school. My, um, I would go out at night with this band that were like 10 years older than me, and we'd, you know, do, they'd rob stores, and I'd be sitting in the car, and, you know, we'd just, I mean, I could have gone such a different route, and they hung in there. And when uh, I was kicked out of uh, 11th grade, in, uh, when I was 17, uh, 16, and um, I, I had to go back and redo the year at a private school, and this guy, very famous Australian guy, came to our house and had seen me play, and like, two days before I was gonna go back to school, he came to my house and talked to my parents and said, we, like, we saw your son play, we'd like him to join our band professionally. And I, I said, Mom and Dad, I don't know what to do. Because I felt like I'd really failed, mm-hmm. you know, that I had to succeed at school or my life would be over. And they said, and I said, what should I do? And I knew they'd go, well, son, you've got to get an education, otherwise you're screwed. Right. Right? They said, you do what you believe. You do what you want to do. And so I said, I want to play guitar. So they said, go ahead. That's fantastic. <laughs> so now... 
Is this the way you parent your own sons? Is this how uh, you were as a parent? No, I give them a credit card and say, it's all on me, kids, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 yeah, I do. I've always, all their lives, I've said, do what you believe in or what you want to do and don't worry about money because money will follow. You've got to be passionate mm -hmm. about what you do because that's, that's what you will... That's what you will stick with when shit gets really difficult. It's because you love it and you know at some point the sun's going to break through, you know. Right. If you're at a job you hate and shit gets difficult, you go, oh, fuck this, I'll go get another one. But if you're passionate about it, you know, and, and sticking with something is what makes you successful. And, and it's not talent, it's not anything. You learn, you learn stuff along the way, but if you have a passion, it will carry you through the moments when you don't know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> And if you can, if you concede with uh, making a living from your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, right? I, and I feel that too. I mean, people say, "When are you going to retire?" And I go, "Shut up!" <laughs> and I go, I, "If I retired, I'd just look for a band and write, which yeah. is what I do, and try and get acting gigs." You know, if it's in your blood and it's what you do, you just have to do it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, since and it um, doesn't mean it's e it's it's easier. It just means you have more power to draw from when it gets tough. That's all. Thus endeth the lesson. <laughs> so I jumped the whole way to 1999 with the Karma album. We know what happens after after Working Class Dog. It's a string of amazing platinum albums, amazing hits. And we're going to get there a little later. But I'm going to stick, and I'm going to start with, we're going to stick with Karma, and we're going to go on. Because I want my listeners, and I want people that might not know about Rick's most recent music, I want to share that with them. I want these people to go to iTunes and buy this music that they've never heard before. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to stick with Karma. Uh, Rick, this song, this next song, uh, Beautiful Prize. Wow. This is a song that's um, it's, uh, very, very dark lyrically, but it's very catchy musically. And I have to be honest I with got, you. Even dark stuff's got to have a hook, I, I know, but <laughs> this was just... Now, I've been you listening... You may be talking about <laughs> killing somebody, but it's got to have a good hook. I've been listening to this song since this album came out, and it wasn't until last year I'm on the treadmill and this song comes up, and I'm and and I st I'm like, oh my God, this song is it's about child abuse, and it, insist, yeah. and it, it's it, I, I was just shocked that it took me that long for that to click because I would sing the lyrics too, and I just never I, maybe I'm stupid, but um, no, no, yeah, it takes a while for stories to land. I mean, I've done that. I, I think that's a great thing about a song that's written not overtly that you can discover different things in it the more you listen to it. But now it's it's actually it's hard for me to listen to it. I still love it, but it's hard. But Kyle, let's hear a little bit of Beautiful Prize. Yeah. 
it makes me all, it almost makes me cry every time I hear it. Yeah, it's just really um dark song. Yeah, it's uh I, I I'm a mush. I'm like I have two kids. I there's 13 and 17 girls, and it's just everything makes me cry. So um yeah. but that's uh that's that's a great song, and it's like it's a song that you need to write though. You need to people need to know about these things. I actually so the, I, I wrote that actually. I went to it. I'm a big uh, a believer in, in like the Tony Robbins thing, you know, mm. empower, self-empowerment. I've always followed that since I was 17, and it's been my, my kind of ace in the hole when stuff would get rough. And so I, one time I was feeling lost, and I love Tony Robbins. I think he's great, and he's a very a genius. And so I went to an event in, in uh, Denver, like a three-day event where you just get so strung out from not sleeping and, and opening up your heart and crying and cheering. And this girl got up and, and you, well, you tell shit like this. Yeah. This girl got up and told this story, you know, about her father abusing her till she, since she, till she was 18. And, uh, and, and it was just, you're very open in those kind of events. And I just really took it in. And, and that's what that song came from. Well, you, I mean... Wow, thank you. That's exactly it. Let's cleanse the palate a little bit. We'll stay with Karma album, but let's listen to Free. This is the cage that I built. Why I built it, I don't know. It's bars of anger and guilt. No lie, but somehow it just wouldn't let me go. That's actually Richard Page singing the I'm Free line. That's, I'm sorry, that's Richard Page? Richard Page from singing Mr. Mr. I'm Free. Is Richard, yeah. Because I still, wrote that and I thought, Richard's got to sing this line. It'd be freaking perfect. But that's about a little kid, actually, who uh, lived above us. And uh, he was, um, his dad was a school teacher at Malibu High. And he had two sons. One was five and the other one was like two or three. This little kid used to stand on top of the hill and he'd, we'd be out playing basketball. And my sons would yell out, can I come down and play? And it was just cute little blonde-headed kid. And they went on vacation up in Tahoe and he fell in the lake. And and by the time the elder brother had got his parents back to the spot, he'd they, he'd gone. And uh, so it's it's about um, uh, um, it's weird. I haven't heard that song in a long time. <laughs> um, Look what I brought. All right, tissues. You knew you were gonna get here, right? Well, no, because for, for me, because I yeah, I'm gonna and, get there in a minute. And he's a beautiful little kid, and it's basically about, um, you know, being healed. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful song, and um, I don't know, what else do you say? The, the, the song says it all. Uh, do you need a tissue? <laughs> um, let's move on to uh, the next Sorry, album. Sorry, my songs on Karma are so sad, but I was really <laughs> going through a tough time. <laughs> um, the next album is Shock, Denial, Anger, and Acceptance. It's got 17 tracks. These are... Uh, I just reread your book, uh, Late Late at Night, and I think that book describes why you had to write that album. You had to purge yourself of demons, or how, how, do, you, how do you explain the, yeah, the songs was, on these albums? Uh, I got myself into 
uh, dark place, and uh, and I just I just wrote about it, and I guess I had a lot to say. Yes, you did. And uh, how do you write a book like, because I always, when I read any autobiography, uh, how do you write a book like that and be so honest and so raw and just let everything out there, knowing that your your wife and your sons and your everyone you know is going to read that? How do you, uh, how are you able to do that? Because well, that would be, I think that would be very difficult um, to, to well, put that out into the world like I that. I wrote it, uh, they hooked me up with a ghostwriter first and, uh, and I told her, you know, one story and she wrote a chapter and I kind of read it and went, well, this could be anybody, any musician yeah. starting out, right? So I'd already written 30,000 words, so I sent it to my publisher and she goes, oh, she said her eyes rolled back in her head and she said, oh, okay, I'm going to read this shit and then tell him we'll do the heavy lifting. But she read it all on a Blackberry in one night and called me up saying, my God, this is great, you're a writer, I want you to write the whole thing. So I did. And it was a joy of writing and, and reliving all these moments. Yeah. And I realized, I said, how am I going to remember all this stuff? But I think about a period in my life and I go to sleep and I wake up and it would all be there because you never lose the memories. They just file further and mm -hmm. further back. And I enjoyed writing it, but once I'd finished it, I sent it to her, and then about three weeks later, a couple of weeks before it was to be released, I got cold feet, and I called her up and said, look, I don't want this book released. I didn't realize people are actually going to read it, <laughs> which you don't. I mean, you really yeah. don't. I wasn't writing it going, yeah, people are going to think this is really funny or really cool. I just wrote it for the joy of writing it and yeah. discovering it, and then when I realized that, you know, it was going to reflect on my relationship with my wife. Um, and she, I had, I sent it to her, a couple of her best friends. And I said, read this and, and what do you think? How, how am I representing my wife in this? Does she look like, you know, some hapless fucking victim? Because she wasn't and she is not. She's got balls for days. Right. And, and she said, I don't need to read the book. I lived through it, right? And they read the book and they said, and both of them said, it sounds like a love letter to her. Oh, that's and nice. because it's, I'm, you know, I'm owning up to my shit and she knows all of it. Right. And I'm not, you know, um, I haven't been perfect and, and uh, went through a lot of shit and she suffered through it with me and suffered because of me. And so I wanted their, their take before I released it. So and, they, they and, gave it the thumbs and up. And if you haven't read it, it's, it's, and this will sound weird coming off what you just said, it's a fun read though. You don't, you're funny. In I do it. open up trying to, trying to kill myself at 16, yeah, but, but, but other than well, that, other than that fun chapter, um, yeah. there's a, no, there's, you are, you're, you're a really good writer. You, there's, it's, it's funny at times. And then, then I'll read, I was reading things and I'm like, wow, man, this guy is really telling the truth. Cause I've read ones where I'm like, eh, this guy, I don't know what this guy, uh, you, I, know, I didn't realize honest. you weren't supposed to necessarily tell the truth. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> I thought, oh, autobiography, well, obviously everyone's written about themselves, but no, some, you know, there's been a lot of image polishing in autobiographies. And, so, uh, and I didn't want to do that because it wouldn't have been truthful and, it wouldn't, and I, I couldn't have spoken from, you know, the part of me that writes. I would have been right. bullshit. So the album, Shock, Denial, Anger, and Acceptance, it's a nice, uh, do they call it a compendium to the book? Is that what uh, they, it's is a that compendium the word? to part yeah. of the book, yeah. yeah, for sure. But there's some great songs on here. There's, I just looked at the time and I saw that we only have about a half hour and I want to get to other stuff. But So my apologies to the song Perfect, the song Will I, and there's a, this. Uh, I, I feel like if I play this one, we might cry again. But let's hear a little bit it's of... It's another sad Ricky let's, song. Let's hear a little bit of... Uh, no, we're not going to do it. We're not? My, my, no, because the next thing I'm going to ask you is going to be... Is gonna be uh, well... My apologies to Angels of the Disappeared. It's a fantastic song. It's 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 about it's about it's about missing children or mm -hmm. uh, Angels of the Disappeared. Yes. Yeah, it's about uh, you know kids that go missing yeah. and uh, 
what what happens to them? You know, what happens to their soul? What happens to the person that 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 never knows what happened to them? Which yeah. I think is the most friggin' I can't imagine anything worse. No, it would be the t most terrible thing. I promise we're going to get back to fun. I promise. <laughs> we will. But we are. But this next thing is, uh, I'm going to jump to 2008. Uh, it's Venus in Overdrive. Mm. Fantastic album. Opens with What's Victoria's Secret. And, it, but, and it, let's hear a little bit of What's Victoria's Secret. This was the, the single from the album. Rock and roll. Mm -hmm. I think that might have been a bonus track on some versions track, of this. Yeah. But and I think, am I wrong? Is there a, is there a cheap trick sample in this song? I think there might be a no. I might have copped a riff. I, I I wanted to write a song where every riff was different. Okay. And I copped a bit of uh, you know uh, like a, a, a nodded to ACDC. I nodded to the Who. Uh, a bunch of different kind of. They're not. It's not the riff, but it's it's like you go. Okay, I know. Okay, I'll, I'll point at the speaker when what I th think sounds like cheap trick. Right. Let's hear a little bit of uh, Who Killed Rock and Roll. Dream that's, police that's my hoonod. That's, that's your hoonod. Okay, yeah, cool. That's, uh, what is it? You know, uh, out here in these fields. You know, oh, Bob teenage wasteland. Yeah, What's Bob, it called? So, what did you say, Kyle? Bob O'Reilly. Bob O'Reilly. Okay, yeah, cool. yeah. It's, it, that, that's the most obvious one. But that I is had the to most put obvious that one. Because I'm a giant Who fan, and it's not quite the riff, but it's close. Close enough to be sued. So, Pete, don't sue me. <laughs> that's why it was a bonus track. Uh, okay, now we're going to get to the song that closes out this album. Hold on a second, because I'm getting on deck with a little bit of a uh -oh. tissue action. I better get some, too. Uh, no, I don't only write sad songs. I know you don't. We're, and we're going to play... <laughs> We're going to play songs for the end of the world, and those songs kick ass. So, uh, But we are going to play this song called St. Sahara, and I would like you to tell the story of what this song and who this song's about. Um, Sahara was a... Uh, 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 I met her when she was five years old. Her mom had started coming to my concerts when she was like 12 or 13, and when I started playing again, she had a daughter by that time named Sahara, 
and uh, she said, oh, I'm going to bring my daughter. We'll have a mother-daughter thing. And she was one of those kids that you just couldn't ignore. And she was just such an incredible human being. And I remember she, it's the first time I saw her, she was like, it was a meet and greet line. And she was like, kept jumping back and forward out of the meet and greet line looking at me, right? And I said, who is this kid? And she got up and, and she said, and you know, we took a photo. And she said, so where, where are we going to go for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> and from then on, I started to hang with her and her mom, and she was just incredible. I just absolutely fell in love with her, and she was so, such an amazing, amazing kid. And I actually had an assistant while I was doing effects up in Vegas who had a terrible uh, experience as a kid with her parents, right? And, was, and she said, I, I, I'm, I'm never going to, because you know, I had a couple of kids. She said, I'll never have kids. I couldn't, couldn't stand it. And, she met Sahara and she said, if I could be guaranteed a kid like that, I would have one in a fucking heartbeat. But she was just one of the kids. And then 11 years old, her mom called me up devastated. They found uh, four-stage uh, glioblastoma cancer in a brainstem. And she died at 13 after just rigorous friggin' chemotherapy. And, uh, and, I, and, and I didn't want to write a, a maudlin song. She said, if you write about it, please don't write you know, poor Sahara, this kind of shit, right? Because she was, I know it's not poor Sahara, so I wrote this song about it. All right, well, I'm already crying from the story, so let's hear St. Sahara. Come on, close the book, turn out the light, put your plans aside tonight. Yeah, I know it's not wrong, but it sure isn't right. Angel bids a last good night to us. Come on, Sarah, give us a smile. Walk this far with us, let's walk one more mile. Hey, Saint Sarah, beautiful child, you left us all wanting, you left us beguiled, my mind. I didn't realize I played so much slide guitar and all yeah. this old stuff. I thought the slide was a new thing. But yeah. uh, the song ends with a children's choir and lyrics like, Come on, Sahara, you fought the good fight. Uh, I can't even read it. But um, I, how do you sit down and write a song like this without just uh, crying over the guitar the whole time you're, you're writing this Well, thing? you do. I mean, you know, you get teared up. But I'd actually, this is an amazing story for this song because I'd mm -hmm. written... Just uh, like an eight-line prose, completely separate from anything, mm -hmm. that I just wrote about her after she died. And I just, you know, I just stuck it in my computer and just um, knew, knew it was there. It's just a, like a, a poem about her. Yeah. And I wrote, musically, I wrote the first verse to this song, the verse of this song. And I said, wow, I wonder if, I wonder if that would... And I had the idea of a song called Saint Sahara for her. I said, I wonder if this would work. So I went on, got my computer, opened it up, and the, the words fit absolutely perfectly to the music that I'd already written. And did you, you obviously, did you play, let her mom hear this before oh, you yeah, gave it yeah. to the world? I, I sent it to her first and said, am I okay with this? You know, and she said. She, she, um, her and her husband played it, and she said, uh, her husband played it every morning. Wow. There we go. <laughs> Fuck, Pat. Seriously? 
God, I listen to this Rick Springfield podcast. What oh. the fuck, I'm weenie. He's crying all the time. What a well, wuss. Well, look. <laughs> take, com- you Oprah. take comfort in knowing that I'm not... <laughs> That we're not going to play pretty, pretty little mess. So, oh. Kyle, <laughs> play, uh, let's go to 2012 Songs for the End of the World. Let's hear our ship sinking. That's a great treadmill song. That one I run right through the wall when it's on. Uh, this album came out in 2012. Uh, you, you sneaky bastard. You had four different album covers. Mm-hmm. You had bonus tracks across. Well, so you had to buy them all to I get know, all the songs. I know, I know. I was che- There's even an acoustic, keys, acoustic version on Amazon you can download. You had a Rick Springfield app. Oh you, yeah, that was cool. You would hold, you would, you would, uh, you would engage the app, and you would hold the camera at the album cover, and Rick would move it on would the come album. To life. Yeah, come I to forgot life. about that. That was a great uh, technology some guys had just come up with, and you download the app, and you could point it like five or six photographs on in the booklet, and it would come to life, and I'd talk to you. It was pretty wild. And then when I updated my phone, that app disappeared. God damn yeah, it! I know, I know. <laughs> the, the app was only good for a little while, but. Um, yeah, that, we still do that, that song live because it really kicks ass live. And, uh, I'm going to play another song from the album that kicks ass. Let's hear I Hate Myself. <laughs> That's your favorite? Yeah. Sing along. I love that uh, I'm a one-man wrecking crew. So good. So good. This album, this is, an, uh, this is a great rock record. Uh, the mid-tempo songs are great. Every song on this album is really great. This is a, yeah, this is a really... Uh, not that I, I like all the albums, but when this one came out, I was like, wow, look at that. This guy has still got the juice. So uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, also, I want to mention, you, have a, you, you wrote a Lullabies album. You got a Christmas album. Mm-hmm. You had a whole bunch of stuff going. Yeah. And um, in May 9th, 2014, you get your star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. That's pretty great. Who who did the dedication for that? Usually they have someone that 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 presents it to you. Do you who did Um, it? Doug Davidson, my best friend, was there. Uh, Jason Thompson, who played my son on General Hospital. Okay. And Richard Marks. Oh, fantastic. My buddy Richard. 
Does Richard Marks have a star on the Walk of Fame? Uh, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. I he's bet hung if he up does. in his house. I bet he's hung up in his house. <laughs> <laughs> it's a comedy podcast. We love Richard Marks. I love Richard Marks. Um, where is your star located? Like if the ladies wanted to go and lie down next to it and get their picture taken. I when I say ladies, ladies, I mean have. me. I've seen photos of them laying down. Um, <laughs> Where's it I think it's outside the Clear Channel building. Uh, Live Nation. Live Nation. Excuse me. Oh Sorry. my goodness. Whoa. Okay, that was a big you've, you've seen it, haven't you? Outside the oh, Live oh, Nation, the, Nation building is a big concert uh, place. I was hoping it would be outside a porn shop. I thought it would be kind of appropriate. I'd look up ladies' dresses. <laughs> hey, it's an old, that's a song called Celluloid Heroes. I don't know, by David. Yeah, that's a King song. Kinks. Yeah, it's an amazing song. So Rudolph Valentino's, he talks about the stars in Hollywood Boulevard. He says, Rudolph Valentino is very much alive. as He looks up ladies' dresses and they sadly pass him by. <laughs> All right, 2016. We're at 2016 already because we're running out of time very quickly. But you released Rocket Science, which when I read about it, it said this was a country album. Yeah, not so much. No. <laughs> Just because it has fiddle on the song doesn't make yeah. it a country album. I was sucking up to, to, to Nashville, let's be honest. And but the, uh, but I, it was, you know, it had, I just, I've sure. been listening to a lot of country and I love the whole rock thing they were bringing in. And I've always, you know, I had banjo on my first, very first hit, Speak to the Sky. So I come by banjo honestly. <laughs> <laughs> the first song I want to play, it was a bonus track on the Best Buy Only edition of this album. Please don't read my notes. Um, then you won't be surprised. Um, <laughs> but I don't understand why this song wasn't on the regular edition of... Oh, I don't know. We get tunnel vision when we record. I mean, and sometimes, the, uh, as a couple of people said, I think some of your best songs are the, are the bonus, the bonus tracks. tracks. Yeah, yeah on the album. And I got to be, no, no offense to you, but if you gave this song, it's called Walking In. If you gave this song, if Carrie Underwood recorded this song, this would be a number one song. No, it's, it's a good song. I, I agree. No, it's not a good song. It's a great song. Let's hear Walking In. a couple of fans' absolute favorite song. It's yeah. my favorite song off this album. Let's hear Walking In. Yeah, that's, I mean, everyone, everyone's had a breakup, so I love the song. I miss that we were once forever. I miss you waking up in my sweater. I hope you find somebody better. I guess I'm not the one. Just fantastic. Oh, fantastic. I, I wrote that actually in the back of uh, the Wild Horse Saloon in Nashville, actually, where we used to play on, uh, on uh, we played like five, five uh, uh, Valentine's Days in a row at this Wild Horse Saloon. We played a couple of nights there. <laughs> And I wrote that uh, the guy J.D. Harding backstage, a uh, country writer. Let's hear, I think this was the first single that was released from the album, I think, uh, Down. Let's hear Down. Down, down to the river and 
Okay, we're, we're, we're close on time. I'm going to go back, I, but I can't end this without, we're going to talk about the Snake King one more time, but I can't end this without talking about my number one favorite Rick Springfield album, which is Success Hasn't Spoiled Me Yet. <laughs> I, every single song is a winner on this album. I love it. It's just, it just, it, this album makes me feel so good. It's the album, it's my Rick Springfield go-to album, is Success Hasn't Spoiled Me Yet. And uh, since we were talking about it a little bit earlier, please, Kyra, play How Do You Talk to Girls? I play this. I play this album so much in the car that my 13-year-old daughter says, uh, "Can we listen to something else?" Damn <laughs> it! <laughs> and I say, "You don't like it?" She goes, "I like it, but Dad, <laughs> please, uh, let's jump into." I get excited. Yeah. Right into just one kiss. Let's keep it going. Oh, no! I'm gonna do uh, I'm gonna do apologies to, to songs that we're not gonna get to. Uh, I will. I'm gonna end the show with a gigantic hit. It's one of the best ones. It's so good. I wish I wish I didn't have to end the show. I could do this for another 90 minutes and I could get to everything. Apologies to Walk Like a Man, State of the Heart, Written in Rock, Tear It All Down, Honeymoon in Beirut. I mean, fantastic song. Oh, thank you. You mean like I'm a lady? I'll march with you. 
Um, I need to, I, I definitely have to ask you, you played Live Aid. That's crazy. <laughs> Do you remember who, who brought you out? Uh, no, I don't, actually. I remember I can tell being you. on the side of the stage looking at it going, holy yeah. shit. I can tell you who, who introduced you. I, I, and again, this is for humor, so feel free to laugh. I believe you drew the short straw that day. Uh, Joe Piscopo brought you, introduced you. So... <laughs> Um, That's funny. You were, uh, you were the eighth uh, act to go up on the U.S. lineup. You played from uh, 10.27 a.m. to 10.47 a.m., 20 minutes. You did Love Somebody, State of the Heart, and Human Touch. And uh, I just want to add this. Black Sabbath went on at 9.55 a.m. <laughs> now, is that because they didn't think Ozzy could make it till the evening without being uh, hammered? Probably, probably. yeah. That's, that's okay. way too early for a musician. Though. So what was it like to, did you, did you realize what a, a big thing it was at the time? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I knew it was, you know, a big extravaganza for sure. Um, that had to be the I, biggest audience you were ever in front of uh, at that yeah, point. Yeah, and televised, and it was, it was pretty, pretty huge. It was, um, uh, it was um, I, you know, I, I knew it wasn't kind of the, even then, I knew it wasn't the kind of, I know everyone has a great memory of it, and it was all like rock and roll making yeah. a difference, but I, I felt like, you know, it was not necessarily going to help too much, you know, because yeah. it was, you can't just throw money at people. I mean, you got to, like, the whole thing, you got to, don't give them a fish, teach them how to fish. And, uh, and I just hope that, uh, you know, that it helped Bring people. awareness. Yeah. Bring awareness. Yeah, it brought awareness, but honestly, you know, everyone's so busy with their life, it's like, okay, but I've got to get up tomorrow, and, you know, and, and it's, uh, I think it's more the memory of the great event rather than uh, kind of who it served yeah. is, is what what exists still you know did you hang out for a while after your set did you know i you was in the middle of a tour as most people were and uh so you couldn't you couldn't meet like no, some of your heroes and did want to meet me and i blew him off is that true i know he's not okay. stupid <laughs> also blew off prince i blew off a lot of people i know no i it was it was just i was incredibly insecure at that point and we had, eric and i had the same agent bobby brooks a beautiful guy who actually died in the helicopter crash that took Stevie Ray Vaughan, but he was an amazing guy. And, and he said, came to me, said, Eric wants to meet you. I said, not now, dude, I'm about to go on. <laughs> I, I, I think, I go, what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, Prince was, was awesome. He, he liked actually Rock of Life. He liked, uh, he actually hired the engineer of Rock of Life because he liked the, the sound of the album. And uh, and he invited me out to his one of his like three in the morning gigs at his place at Paisley Park, and I I had to get up at like three the next morning. I said, "Sorry, I can't. I I got to catch I a thought, flight." I thought the story was going to end with you went. No, you no, didn't go. No, no, I blew it blew it off because I had, just because I had to because I I had no you know we were in the middle of a tour again. It's like honestly, people say, "Oh, you're going to be in Jersey. Go come on out and we'll go fishing and have a barbecue and meet the kids." And like you don't have time for that. You fly in. <laughs> You, you fly in already sleep deprived. If you have spare time, you go to sleep. Uh, or if you don't, you go to sound check, then you have dinner, then you play the show, then you have a drink afterwards, then you go to sleep and get up sleep deprived the next morning and fly to the next gig. That's just, you know, there is no time on the road. Well, if you haven't seen Rick uh, on Live Aid, it's, you can see it on YouTube. The hair is gorgeous. <laughs> it really is. And I believe, again, I believe Joe Piscopo was there because I think he thought he was introducing Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> They're you from liked Jersey. It for the river. They're from Jersey. You <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, the new album comes out uh, this coming Friday. It's called The Snake King. You go to Best Buy, you can get it for seven ninety nine. Um, just saying, it's a promotional thing. Um, thank you so much for being here, Rick. I'm very happy I, to be I here. Really.
A lot of fun. Really enjoyed that you were here. I want to thank uh, Kyle. Thank you, Kyle. I want to thank uh, your people, uh, Wayne Sharp and Kim Jackworth, for making this happen. And I want to help uh, thank the festival people, uh, Janet Varney and David Owen and Cole Stratton, for helping plan all this. Thank you, people, for coming thank out. San Francisco. I love it. And let's play out with uh, a song from Hard to Hold. And is it is it you that makes the joke? Do you, what do you call that movie? Hard to watch. Right. Hard to swallow. Big round of applause for Mr. Rick Springfield. Let's crank up Love Somebody. cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader